June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're constantly on the hunt for a good deal, then you need Rakuten. Rakuten is the smartest way to save money when you shop because members get cash back at over 3,500 stores across every category, including fashion, beauty, electronics, home essentials, traveling, dining, and more. You're already shopping at your favorite stores. Why not save while you're doing it? It's a no-brainer. Get the Rakuten app now and join the 17 million members who are already saving. Cashback rates change daily. See Rakuten.com for details. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Your cash back really adds up. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment with highly anticipated new releases. The time is now more than ever to embrace the breathtaking, sinister, and shocking tales that can enthrall you, especially with brand new exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped, like Amy Tintera's Listen for the Lie. With exclusive thrillers from best-selling authors, captivating sound design, and dynamic performances, Audible brings these stories to life like never before. And as a member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power the collaboration needed for teams to accomplish what would otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200 or 2 million, Atlassian software is built to help keep you connected and moving together as one. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. 
Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week, we come to you from Cancun, Mexico. Joining us now... One of our regulars on the show, and of course, our correspondent on Travel Detective on public television, the editor-in-chief of Travel Weekly, Arnie Weissman. Hey, Arnie. Hi, Peter. How are you? I'm doing okay. Now, you know, every week I talk about, you know, giving back when you travel, and it's, it's nice to say it. It would be nicer if more people did it, uh, but you have an interesting uh, research survey, don't you? Yes. Uh, a group called Tourism Cares, which is the, uh, I think they bill themselves as the official nonprofit uh, or philanthropic effort for the travel industry, uh, commissioned a survey and came up with some very, very interesting information. And, and they, have, they did this in order to, so that the travel industry can follow what, it, what the traveler, the consumer, wants to get out of a trip that might have to do with uh, philanthropy or volunteerism or donating. And what they found was that more than half of the traveling public in America has given money, time, or goods in support of the communities that they've visited. This is over the past two years. And among those, 64% volunteered, 86% gave money, 78% gave in-kind while on a leisure trip. And this is, this is big. And it, what's, what's really interesting is that the millennials are – leading the pack. They could well be called the generous generation. Eighty-one uh, percent of those who did participate in some form of, of giving, eighty-one percent volunteered during their travels over the past year. Seventy-eight donated cash. Eighty-three percent provided in-kind kind giving. But what's really interesting is that they're out of proportion to the other generations. They give more than people in the 55-plus You've more than the affluent. So this well, you know generation what, what, that's coming up is really, really involved. You know, those numbers are surprising to me on a number of levels. First of all, I was surprised at how many people are doing it as opposed to just saying they're doing it. And then, you know what? I got to tell you, I'm surprised that it's the millennials. Well, I think that the, there's been some studies showing that they really care of, that, the let's say, the company they work for is a company whose values they share. They care about... Uh, when they when they travel, that if they're going to be in a, a hotel or resort, that that resort pre- follows sustainable practices. So this this really is um, a generation that they've inherited a world that's maybe not in great shape uh, in many ways, and they want to do something to even when they're on a leisure trip to address that. Well, that's really good news, and especially if they're actually physically getting involved and not just you know writing a check. Yeah, and what's interesting is the travel industry is responding. So you have, I can't think of a major travel company that doesn't have a foundation or some sort of program that is trying to help the communities where they operate. 
Uh, one of the more interesting ones, uh, the Carnival Corporation actually started a cruise line called Fathom, whose whole purpose is to combine a cruise and volunteerism. So yeah. it's we part actually, of every tour that they do. Yeah, we actually had a story about about the woman who started it, well, and uh, this is Arnold Donald, the, the chairman of Carnival, is very much behind it. And in fact, under that charitable umbrella, they get to be uh, perhaps the first U.S. cruise line sailing into Cuba because they fit the criteria of people-to-people -people, uh, projects. Yeah, and I think what you're going to see in the travel industry in particular, and I think the study is going to be a bit of an impetus towards this, is that many, many travel companies are going to not only... Uh, begin to put more focus on those sorts of efforts. But I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of new brands in the way that Fathom is a, a new cruise line, new brands that focus particularly on this volunteerism. I mean, when you look at Fathom, uh, it's a ship uh, somewhere between, I think, 2,500 and 3,000 passengers. Do you recall? Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the smaller ships. Yeah, and, and my guess is that they can fill it with church groups alone. I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, organizations that want to uh, enable the people who are affiliated with them to have this sort of experience on an organized trip. And I think you're gonna you're gonna see more brands, more products coming out. Travel agencies are going to specialize in it. I think this is a major trend we're we're seeing. And you know, more often than not, people want to be able to connect the dots and follow the money if they're going to give some money. Or, you know, in the old days, you know, it was about foster kids in Africa, and maybe you got a postcard once every six months. Well, the people who are involved in those programs right now are Skyping these kids, and there are relationships being formed where people just don't do it from a distance. They come back every year or every six months. Uh, one of the big safari operators, I think you know them, Mikado, yes. um, they're doing something remarkable, and they deserve a shout-out every chance I get. For every safari you book with them, they put a kid through school. I mean, that's unreal. Yeah, Mikado has been a leader in this, and they, before someone takes one of their trips, they send them a prepaid carton, and they said, listen, there's, there's schools that we're supporting. They need various supplies. So it starts right before the trip. They fill the box with, uh, they're, they're given a list of supplies that are needed. They fill it, they send it, and they say, if you want to add an extra day onto your tour at no cost, and will take you to see the projects that you've already gone to help. Now, there's almost nobody who can actually go and see the work who then doesn't write another check before they leave to help them continue on those good good works. I think Mikado's doing a fantastic job. Yeah, because they're not just connecting the dots, they're connecting the people. And they deserve a, a tremendous applause for that, simply because they're not doing it in a distant vacuum. They're not doing it you know, through another party, they're doing it with the people who were expressing an interest in the country, but may not be fully educated as to the communities that they're visiting. Yeah, and it's and it's interesting. I'm sure, Peter, when you travel, you see this as well. In Cancun, uh, the last time I was there, the hotel had signs up saying, "If you want to go to the beach at uh, just before sunset, we're going to be releasing a thousand turtles, and you can be part of that." There are so many examples of where people are doing that. I was um, at GoldenEye Resort in Jamaica a couple of weeks ago, and they have turned the reefs around them, which were completely dead and overfished, and they worked with the government to turn it into an underwater reserve. And the 75% uh, of the coral, they, they're planting coral, but 75% of the relief, 
reef has come back. And it's, well, it's uh, incredible what, tra what travel industries are doing. But what you haven't said about GoldenEye, Arnie, is that the, the sharks on the reef have lasers because it's the <laughs> former home of Ian Fleming. <laughs> no, Mr. Bond, you're going to die. <laughs> no, but it's really great that they've done that because it's one thing to, to distance yourself from it physically, even if you're at a resort. You, don't, you know, when you're at a resort and you flush the toilet, where does that go? People don't ask that question, and more and more people are now doing the right thing and asking. Well, I was, in, I was in Switzerland last week, and I had a, a conversation with a tour operator that was interesting because she said, you know, with all these migrant, the migrant crisis in Europe, and all I'm thinking about is, are my passengers going to be inconvenienced at a border crossing? Or is this going to affect the profitability of my company? She said, oh, this boy. is a human tragedy going on, and, and, I, and I'm having trouble kind of getting, getting past the immediate impact uh, on, on my bottom line. But the more we talked about it, it was interesting because in those sorts of cases, I think travelers are always looking at the, the split between I want to do something to help, and yet, you know, I want to do something with my disposable interest uh, income exactly. that's fun as well. Hello? Uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. And whatever comes our way. Yeah, I'm speaking with the editor-in-chief of Travel Weekly and a regular on our show, Arnie Weissman. Arnie, my tease at the last break was a tour you can take in Shanghai that has nothing to do with Shanghai, but it's one that a lot of people have been waiting to do for a long time. That's right. This is to a country adjacent to China, and it's one that many people don't think about when they're looking at taking a trip to China and maybe a little bit into the region. And that trip is a 24-hour whirlwind excursion into North Korea. Now, is, can anybody take that? Anybody can, because at this point, you're, it's been difficult to go, let's say, as an American uh, to North Korea uh, for a long time. Recently, a company called URI Tours, that's U-R-I Tours, uh, set up in New Jersey and has made it a lot easier for Americans to go. And they've now worked out something where people who are visiting Shanghai will get on a, uh, an airplane at 12.30 a.m., fly to Pyongyang, the North Korean capital. They'll land around 4 a.m., have a little breakfast, let them rest at the hotel for a few hours, and then start on a whirlwind trip to... to by the way, I have been to North Korea, and I remember when I arrived and met my guide, and he explained what we were going to see, and I thought it sounded like the most dull thing in the world. He said, we're going to first go to... Kim Il-sung Square, then we're going to go to the Victoria, Victoria's Fatherland Liberation War Museum, and then to the Martyr's Cemetery, and I thought, oh my God, this sounds horrible. It was fascinating, and this is what you're going to see if you take this tour. You're going to, by the way, it's 24 hours, you're going to be back in Shanghai the next, that night at 11.30 p.m., and <laughs> it is... I'm, I'm yeah. laughing. You know why I'm laughing? I'm laughing because I can't wait for somebody to tell me or tell other people, you're taking a red-eye flight. You're taking a red-eye to North Korea. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. It's, I mean, it's, it's 
like um, you know walking into a live version of a, let's say a, an, an Asian translation of 1984. It's a really strange place. People who are well traveled have never been anywhere like it, and uh, I guarantee this. The price isn't bad either, by the way. It's uh, and this includes the airfare, the hotel, all meals, a guide, four ninety nine per person for double occupancy or. Five forty-nine for single occupancy, and nine hundred dollars if they let you out. <laughs> right there's the exit fee. Right, the exit, the exit fee you need to get. <laughs> no, um, but you know what though, and when you think about you know the embryonic stages of Chinese tourism after Nixon first went, uh, this is a good indication that the door is not swinging open, but it's at least creaking a little. Yeah, and in some ways, this—if you were wanting to get kind of a, an introduction to North Korea. This might be the way to go, in part because it is relatively short, and the, the problem sometimes with North Korea is that they, depending on their mood and the time of day, they could change their mind. They, there was a marathon, the Pyongyang Marathon was being promoted, and it was just sort of almost every other day, is it, is it, are they going to allow Americans in? Are they not? Um, you know, so there's, there's always a... a fairly, eh, there's often, let's say, some in, uh, insecurity when you book this because you don't know if things are going to go south suddenly and you're not going. That actually happened with me two days before I was going to go. They told me, uh, no, they were not. They were revoking my visa. And then literally the day that I was going to leave, they said, oh, it's okay. You can come. <laughs> well, if there's ever a time to buy trip cancellation and interruption insurance, this would be that trip. <laughs> This would be that trip, because they are so quirky and idiosyncratic when it comes to saying yes. Um, and, of course, you can't overstay your welcome on these deals. You're back the same night, right? That's right. And and what's, what's interesting about uh, North Korea is that, for instance, if you're in China and you're um, not on a uh, kind of intranet or in, in um, using a closed system, you cannot use Facebook, you cannot, you can't post to Twitter, um, and you can in North Korea. The The Chinese are, are more worried about it than the North Koreans, and at least as far as for visitors go. However, keep in mind that if you do post it in North Korea, the North Koreans also read it, yes. and you may be staying longer <laughs> than you thought. A, yes, good, a, good, a good piece of advice here is, at least for these introductory little appetizer trips, Leave all your belongings in Shanghai at the hotel safe. Take only what you need. Um, you know, watch the use of your cell phone camera because they may not appreciate it. And just go and absorb for 24 hours and enjoy that red-eye flight from Shanghai to Pyongyang. Yeah, Peter, have you been? North I Korea? have. I have. And, um, and a couple of times. The first time I went was, believe it or not, in 1978. And that was the DMZ on the other side. And then uh, since then, of course, you can go in through China on some of those flights. But again, you're right, Arnie. They, they change their mind on a moment's notice as to who they want to have in. Or... Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore.
time you travel, you come back with at least one overriding thought, which I think goes across the board, and that is plan A never works. And the best times you've ever had were when you made mistakes. You were either stupid, silly, ignorant, or a combination of the three, which leads me to the author of this book with a great title and obviously some great lessons along the way. It's the 2015 edition of No Touch Monkey and Other Travel Lessons Learned Too Late. Ann Halliday, how are you? I'm good, Peter. Thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, I mean, I love the idea of no touch monkey because I, I mean, I was in Gibraltar and made the mistake of touching the monkey. Um, uh oh, and, what happened? Uh, well, they stole everything I had. <laughs> 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 they were kleptos. Um, and yeah, they did that to you. They do. I know. How'd you come up with the title of the book to begin with? Well, that title is um, a reflection of a sign at the monkey forest in Obud in Bali. Um, a sign that's, although it is in not uh, first first language English, it's clearly understood, I think, of don't touch the monkey. If you give the monkey a peanut, the monkey will try to take your camera. All these instructions are very clear, and yet the travelers are still touching the monkeys. But I love signs like that. I, I love um, the attempt at communication. I mean, I love the, the basically the bastardization of the English language uh, when I go overseas. It's all well-intentioned, of course, but I mean, I saw one in, uh, in, Zab in Zimbabwe that said, circumcisions above the elephant cage. I'm like, wow, was there a line me? to get up above the elephant cage? I guess it was a big demand issue. If you could get above the <laughs> elephant cage, you got one whether you wanted it or not. Um, but, you know, it's that kind of fun stuff. Um, and, and there was, in the Far Eastern Economic Review for years, there was a column every week that talked about stupid signage. And all people had to do was take a picture and send it in, and you, stop, you couldn't stop laughing, you know? Yeah, I'm a big fan of Korean children's stationery that's sold in English-speaking markets. Um, and sometimes I wonder, like, surely by now the people who are making this must know that what the correct phrasing would be, but it's so popular because it is incorrectly phrased. Well, you know, in the night markets in, in both uh, Hong Kong, Beijing, and Shanghai, they actually sell signs that, uh, you know, it's just like you said, they knew they messed it up, but it became so funny, you might as well sell it. You know, yeah, absolutely. It, it basically That's... says, you know, not to be angry at boss. That's a sign. Just not to be angry <laughs> at boss. And a good boss. sentiment, a good, good sound I know. advice. <laughs> so what are some of the other lessons that you sadly learned too late? Well, I guess I learned if you're going to sleep on a beach, you might want to do a little research on the beach before you go. I ended up sleeping on the beach in Nice, which is rocks. It didn't occur to me to, that a beach might not be sand. Um, I think, you know, always carry a sarong with you. My sarong came in handy many, 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 many times <laughs> um, for lots of unexpected uses, some of which probably wouldn't be too polite to say on the radio. Right, but 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 and reuse um, and, and reuses, yeah. And reuses, yeah, and um, and then also just to try everything to to not be so worried about whether or not you're going to look like a fool or you're going to embarrass yourself or you're not going to be understood. I think the attempt to communicate and taste and try and get outside the zone of what you know is the best thing about traveling. Well, you know, it's funny. Before we got into the viral age with everybody having a cell phone camera and everybody being, a, you know, a citizen journalist, my rule of thumb was if I was in a, a foreign location 
And as you just said, you know, you wanted to try something or act stupid or be stupid. The question I'd always ask is, does anybody know me here? And if the answer right. was no, I'd do it. Yeah, you've got nothing to lose as long as you're being kind and, you know, respectful and wanting to know about the person. I mean, I think people get a little hung up on what is respectful. I think of respectfulness as a desire to find out more about people in a way that is kind and compassionate and also knowing of, you know, if they're in the middle of praying, you know, bounce right up and demand to be told what's going on. You know what? Uh, everything everything is possible if you practice what I call gentle curiosity. Oh, that's a great phrase. Yeah, I agree. You know, and and and, and ask questions. It's okay to ask if you if you do it in a way that's not presumptuous, if it if it's not condescending, if it lets them know that you're you're truly interested as opposed to just you know trying to tick off a box on a list. Yeah, and when you get off the beaten path, it's uh, you know we had experiences where we would go to little towns and get off the bus and I do remember one woman who was in the Peace Corps saying I have to ask you one question and we were like yeah what's the question why in the hell Naritawat what are you doing here and there's nothing here and um, it was great and those were the places where we were just treated like rock stars and to be able to lavish a little bit of that rock star treatment on the people who were being so nice to us and putting us up in their homes and feeding us it was well, great. That was it, wonderful. And it is great. When plan A doesn't work, plan B is what you bring back with all the memories. Anne Holiday is the, is, the, is the author. And the name of the book, No Touch Monkey and Other Travel Lessons Learned Too Late. The 2015 edition is out now. And something tells you we're taking notes for future editions because every time you think you know something, you find out how little you do know. Anne, thanks very much. If you are sitting next to a small child or someone who is acting like a small child, please do us all a favor and put on your mask first. My next guest I met in, of all places, in Houston, but he's actually a big aficionado of Chinese travel. And if you take a look at the real numbers, um, it's really quite staggering. Uh, visa applications for Chinese to travel right now are up 40% over last year. When you take a look at what those numbers represent, it truly is almost, I mean, unimaginable, but it's happening. But my next guest is not on to talk about China travel because in the process of him and I having a discussion about the, you know, the numbers here with Chinese travelers, something else came out. Forget what his day job is. Evan Saunders is a complete fanatic worldwide in every nook and cranny, every state, every city, every country in his global pursuit of the best club sandwich. Evan, how did that start? Uh, it's a, uh, a great introduction and a great question, Peter. Uh, you know, I travel a, a tremendous amount all of my life, uh, a lot for work and a lot for pleasure. Uh, and while I love being in new environments, thriving off their surroundings, you know, sometimes I just need something that allows comfort to wash over me in an awesome wave. And for me, that has always been the club sandwich. And fortunately, it's literally available in every city I've ever been to in all 60-plus countries. All right, so let me ask this question. 
First of all, let's get down to a definition of terms. What defines, <laughs> at least for you, a club sandwich? You know, as I traveled from place to place all around the world, I kept seeing the club sandwich evolve. And that sort of begged the question, how could a sandwich be called the same but change dramatically from location to location? And truth be told, what I found through all of my dedicated research into the subject is that the club sandwich is simply called a club. Now, many people think there needs to be a third slice of bread or it has to be corn or it traditionally has to come with bacon or turkey. But from country to country, you see these norms actually change. And there's a complete deviation from the standard club sandwich that you might think or that you get at your local sandwich shop or that hotel that you had. So for me, in my experience, the most crucial element of the club sandwich is that that dining establishment must call it a club sandwich. Okay, so now that we still haven't defined it. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, really true. You know, you see such a diverse amount of ingredients used. You see all shapes and sizes. You see hotels, restaurants, airports, all approaching it very differently. So it's become difficult to actually sort of stereotype the club sandwich, which has kept this, this passion of mine really exciting over the past five years. Well, you know, it's one thing to call something a Caesar salad because today you just don't order a Caesar salad. They'll ask if you want chicken or shrimp or or uh, or tuna fish. And I don't know how that becomes a Caesar salad, uh, whether you want anchovies or not. The only thing that, that distinguishes to me and makes it a Caesar salad is usually the dressing, the Caesar dressing. But with the club sandwich, sure. with the club sandwich, sure. does it always have, does it always have to be toasted? Um, you know. Uh, again, I've seen club sandwiches in a wrap. You know, we go to a place like the city of Boston, for example, you're going to find lobster club sandwiches everywhere. France, France loves the smoked salmon club sandwich. You go out to California, you're going to find club sandwiches with avocado almost in every sandwich. So what we've really enjoyed over the past few years, and by me, by we, it's usually me and my wife doing all this traveling, are club sandwiches that reflect the, the local ingredients that can be included in that club, whether it's a special type of uh, produce or protein or even a, a locally baked bread. Definitely the most exciting thing about trying these club sandwiches around the world is when they embrace some sort of local flavor. Okay, so let me ask, first of all, the question I know everybody else is asking, how much do you weigh? eating in one hand while I'm doing work with the other hand. Uh, and I'm a big foodie. Of course, uh, exercise comes along with that. Okay, just double checking. I have to say, Peter, there can be very healthy dishes, right? They're not... I have had some club sandwich desserts, some club sandwich cakes before. There's actually a hotel in Bangkok that specializes in club sandwich cakes. Uh, but I try to avoid those for the most part. A club sandwich cake with bacon? I know, with um, green tea sponge cake, chocolate mascarpone, uh, chocolate chips, a little whipped cream, uh, nicely layered together with a uh, chocolate toothpick going through it. Riding along in my automobile, my baby beside me at the wheel, cruising and playing the radio, with no particular place to go.
this hotel is one of the largest, if not the largest in Latin America. Uh, you're talking not just a few hundred rooms, you're talking a lot of hundred rooms. And if you understand the process of any place, you can value the product. And if you want to understand that process, you don't talk to the general manager, you don't talk to the guy who owns it, you don't talk to the guy who designed it. You talk to the people who have to work here, who have to understand it, adjust, navigate it. And uh, over the last uh, couple of days, uh, my good buddy, uh, Carlos Gonzalez, has been driving around in a golf cart because if he didn't, I would, be, I, I would need an air traffic controller. This place is big. It is. It's a huge property. It's something amazing to have some uh, place like this one in Cancun. I guess it's one of the first uh, huge places that has been built in Cancun. Exactly. How many rooms? Around 2,000, 2,500. Yeah, but who's counting? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But that means, and people don't understand the logistics of this, it's that if you have at least half of your population of the hotel checking in and half of it checking out, that's 1,250 people, or, or could even be 2,400 people if there are two people to the room, and this is a hotel that gets a lot of people, two people to the room. Multiply that by two bags per person, you're talking thousands of bags, right? That's right, yes. I have learned how to uh, deal with huge quantities of luggage. When I arrived here, I didn't know anything about that. So what did I you, have learning. So what did you do? Well, I had to learn from the best. <laughs> they had good, uh, good managers, you know? But I guess, I mean, it, it would be so easy to lose it. I mean, the airlines do a great job of losing it, right, with, with, with less number of passengers per plane. But you show up here and people show up and they want to go right to their room. You, gotta, you have to figure out the ballet, if you will, the dance of getting those bags to the room. Exactly, yes. We have designed very good controls. Try to avoid the mistakes. One of them is to uh, the put tags on the bags. Well, that's Okay. Tags are always helpful. Yes, exactly, yes. The difference is you put the tag on the bag and the airline conveyor belt rips it off. At least they don't get ripped off here. What's the silliest thing somebody ever left in their room? In their room, wow. Yeah. Can I say everything? Anything. <laughs> there was a people claiming uh, to the uh, Palace Vacation Planner guys because she left a dildo. <laughs> she was screaming at him. You know, I want it back or you want to pay me for it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it because... Hey, listen, it's life. It's life. But wait a minute, did you find it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and did you wrap it carefully? <laughs> Luckily for her, yes. <laughs> but you know what? That's not surprising because this is not just a hotel, it's a small city, right? Yes, it, it, exactly. it's thousands of people, yes. right? And the thing is, I always think that the number one thing that people leave in their hotel rooms is their cell phone charger, exactly. right? That's gotta be number one, Yes. right? And battery powered as well, I suppose. But the bottom line is, I always say that if you get to a hotel and you don't have your cell phone charger, just go to the lost and found at the hotel, and they have it. It's not yours, it's somebody else's, but it's going to fit you. Then just, then just pay it forward and you leave. It's the easiest thing to do. Don't go out and buy one. It's, see, it's the conspiracy of cell phone manufacturers. It's like you buy a printer, they get you for the ink. You buy a cell phone, they get you for the chargers. Someone has, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, has lost my, my model cell phone charger in this hotel. I just have to ask, right? How many different cell phone chargers do you have in Lost and Found? In Lost and Found, around uh, 5,000, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, if Radio Shack goes out of business, you can reopen. <laughs> yes. You can reopen easily. You bet, yeah. What else do they leave in the rooms? Something the most common things, well, they're clothes, clothes yeah. and shoes. Shoes? Yes. How could you leave? Oh, well, I guess they brought more than one pair because <laughs> it would be silly to walk out not knowing that. Yes. What kind of training do you go through? Training? Well, we spend like two months training. Uh, well, we need to know everything. 
from the numbers of the, the, the rooms until uh, we get the information about how to deal with those kind of problems that you just mentioned. When somebody uh, loses something, we need to need, uh, learn the controls, where to take the people. Now, when was the last time you raced to the airport trying to catch up with somebody to give them something that they lost that you found at the right time? No, <laughs> that was six months ago. <laughs> it was a race to the airport? Yes. And did you get there? Oh, finally, yes. <laughs> and then you get it back to them? Yeah. There was a golf bag. Yeah, the you, guy left. The guy lost it. How could you forget a golf bag? <laughs> he confused. He got some, uh, somebody else's golf bag. Oh, so you had two golf bags that yes. were missing. So you got to have to get them back to both different guys. Yeah, they were the same color, so he took the wrong one. Wow. But you know what? That's the service industry. It's not the delivery of the service that matters. It's how you recover when something goes wrong. And that's really the key. The, the bottom line is um, things are going to go wrong. You, it's, it's inevitable, right? Exactly. Right. But you know what? Guys like you, Carlos, make the day, and you certainly made the day for me because I would have to be an air traffic controller to try to walk back to my room here because it's so big. But you are in the Indianapolis 500 here on your cart, and you, like, whip me around the place, <laughs> and I actually get to where I need to go. So just for that, that's why you're on the show, so I can say thank you, man. Thank you. You got it, man. Oh, by the way, time to say thank you to a few other people here. Dara Stone, our chief producer. Tim Hill. He's doing the boards right here, along with Anna Saldana, the famous Anna Saldana. Jeff Ryder doing the boards back in Connecticut. And, of course, the entire staff of the Moon Palace Resort here in Cancun. Thank you, everybody. We will see you next week from another distant remote location somewhere around the world. And please, if you leave something in your room, Carlos is coming for you. We'll see you next week, everybody. Bye-bye. been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Visit our website at www.petergreenberg.com. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast on the new location somewhere around the world. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Spoiler alert, it's neither. At Happy Egg, we believe happiness of the hens is what actually came first, because without happy hens, there would be no such thing as happy eggs. You know, eggs with delicious orange yolks. Those come from hens who are raised the happy way on eight plus acres of family owned farms. Choose happy at happyegg.com and look for the yellow carton at a store near you. Happy Egg. One. Two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. 
Order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital edition wherever you get your books.